Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Homelands Adventure Podcast. Inspired by Adventure. Welcome to the Homelands Adventure podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Hall. I'm thrilled to be joined today by professional skier and program coordinator for Protect Our Winters Canada, all the way from Revelstoke, Izzy Lynch. Hi. Hi. How are we doing, Izzy? Good, thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thank you. Very well. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, yeah, pleasure, sir. Pleasure. Pleasure to have you on. Um, so I, I just wanted to start with a bit of a retrospective on your on your professional skiing career. And uh, I know that you grew up in Calgary. What were the earliest memories that you, you had of uh, skiing? Um, oh, wow. The earliest memories I have of skiing are probably skiing at Fortress Mountain with my family. It's a small resort in Alberta that we spent every weekend at. And, um, we started there when I was about four. Um, I started skiing when I was two at Lake Louise, but then we started at Fortress when I was four and we spent every single weekend there all through, um, my childhood until we bought my parents invested in a backcountry lodge. And then we kind of started splitting our time between the resort and the backcountry. but those, those are my earliest memories. And at what age did you start to get into the racing side of the sport? I started racing around eight, I believe. Um, and so that program was based at Fortress. Um, and it was great because Fortress was kind of this like mom and pop show. It was had really rustic lifts and this old lodge. And we would go stay in these dorm rooms every weekend with a bunch of other families. Um, so every weekend was this really like communal event. And we would all meet up, have potluck dinners in the evenings. The kids would run around and play. And then we would all go out skiing during the day or... Um, my younger siblings would, would go in the daycare (laughs) at the hill and, um, and then my parents could go out skiing. And so, yeah. And then when I was a little bit older, like eight, I think I started in the racing program there and it was a great program because the mountain was so, um, it's, they actually got quite a bit of snow for that area. So we ended up free skiing a lot, but also training gates and learning all the fundamentals and stuff like that. And you mentioned the family lodge, uh, Amiski, um, which uh, was founded by your mum and dad on a, on a bit of a whim, I gather. Yeah, um, they, so my parents grew up in Eastern Canada and moved West when they kind of finished university because they were so drawn to the mountains and they just had this real like thirst for adventure. And um, it wasn't until about 10 years after they moved that they were given this opportunity to go on their first backcountry skiing trip. And while they were on this trip with these friends in this little tiny A-frame in this area, um, just in, in BC in the Canadian Rockies, they, their friends mentioned to them that they were looking at investing in this area and there was a tenure up for grabs and they wanted to build a lodge there. And my parents were just like, Oh my gosh, like that is, would be the coolest thing ever. And, um, somehow they convinced the other couple that they would be good partners in starting a lodge. So when you're growing up and you've got that experience of being out in the backcountry, but also racing in the gates, how did you balance the two different disciplines and how did they, they help you uh, 
on on either side did, did, the, did the being out in a lodge influence your racing and vice versa did the did the racing help to influence your sort of backcountry skiing style yeah I think um I was so driven as a ski racer as a young kid like I just that's all I cared about and I my I dreamt of going to the Olympics and um and doing that whole thing and um so that was very much my focus but I also loved going to a misqui on our school breaks and on holidays and stuff. And, um, I think the biggest influence it had on me was after I quit ski racing, I knew that there wasn't this whole other aspect of skiing that I would continue to do for the rest of my life. Like it wasn't skiing wasn't done because ski racing was done. Skiing to me was this lifelong sport that I would be involved with forever. And so, yeah, it just made me realize that it can be so fun on so many different levels. And you come from a big family, um, four four siblings. How much competition was there amongst you um, in terms of uh, racing? Did did, the, did your brothers and sisters race as well? Um, so my brother, I have a brother and two sisters. I'm the eldest, and uh, my brother was actually a Nordic ski jumper. So he did Nordic combined, which is like cross country skiing and, and ski jumping. Um, and then my sister, who's just younger than him, ski raced, and then our youngest sister also ski jumped. So my brother and I were very competitive, um, on pretty much every level, like who can jump the highest, who can run the fastest, who can win the most card games, but we didn't compete in ski racing. <laughs> and, and when you came to the, the point of, uh, finishing your racing career, was that a natural, um, decision? Was it time to move on? Um, uh, or was it, was it for other sort of lifestyle reasons that you, you what was the, I guess the, 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 the thought process of thinking, okay, well, I'm going to move on from the gates and I'm going to change my, my style and approach to skiing now. Yeah, it was definitely a natural kind of progression. I, I had finished high school and I took a year after high school to continue racing. Um, and at that point in my life, I was just kind of opening my eyes to all these other aspects of life. I had been so focused on racing until that point. And then I started to realize, oh, there's, there's school and there's traveling and there's all these amazing experiences out there. And so, um, yeah, after that year after high school, I just decided, no, I want to, I want to go to university and try something different. And, um, but racing was still a big part of my life. I decided that I would coach racing while I was going to school. So every weekend I was still there setting courses, um, teaching kids. And, um, I was still very connected with the community of ski racing. Um, and then after a couple of years of that, I realized like, Hmm, I'm pretty sick of just standing around on the side of a course and, you know, like there's powder everywhere else in the mountain. We're slipping the powder off the course. What, what am I doing here? And so I approached a local free ride club to see if I could coach with them because I saw them ripping around. They just looked like they were having so much fun. Um, and they needed an, another coach. And so they brought me on and, and from there I kind of made the full switch, like no more gates, just full free ride all the time. And that's what got me into the whole free skiing world. And how did that transition go from you coaching and being involved within that club to then being a competitor within the free ride world tour um so i coached with the free ski club in lake louise um for a year or two and we took the kids to all the different um free ride competitions around alberta and bc and there was one happening at our local mountain at lake louise and and my kids were like you should compete they convinced me that i should enter and compete. And, and I did and had a great time. I think I crashed and like blew up, but it was so fun. And I just met this awesome community of people there. And I 
was like, oh man, this is, I got a taste and I wanted more. And so things just kind of snowballed from there. And at what point in your journey did that transition happen from um, competing on uh, an international circuit to, to then becoming involved in the content side of things and being involved within uh, films like Into the Mind? We, was, did that help to put you into more of a spotlight to be recognized by those types of content creators and, and, and sponsors who were, who were perhaps looking for athletes? Yeah, so I, I never did like the full free ride world tour, but I did a few of the events I did um, in in the states, and um, we had a stop in Revelstoke for a few years. So I finished university and I moved to Revelstoke, but I was still coaching back in Alberta. So I was driving every weekend, and um, but I, and I was competing a little bit in local comps, and then doing a few of the bigger events, and that um, that allowed me to connect with some brands and, and actually get some sponsorships. Um, which then just led to opportunities to go shooting with photographers and go film and stuff like that. Just kind of, it just slowly built, um, doors opened and moving to Revelstoke at that time was a really, was really opportune because the resort had just expanded. And so there was a lot of media coming to cover the expansion of the resort. And there was a lot of buzz around the mountain. And so people um, would come to shoot or write stories or whatever. And, but there weren't a lot of established pro skiers there yet. So the mountain would ask us who they knew we were out shredding every day to go out with these people. And, um, that opened a lot of doors as well. And so when you're, when you're on a film shoot and you're, and you're content creating, how much pressure is there on you to perform and to get the shots that the, uh, you know the director wants and needs because presumably you're you're working against the weather conditions you're working against budget you've got time scales involved what how much pressure do you feel as um as an athlete in that environment and or is there no pressure is it just you know going with the flow and making the best of you know what the environment and the conditions bring on any given day there's a lot of pressure for sure like you for everything to come together to get a shot it's there's a lot, there's a lot of factors that need to align. And, um, I think especially early on my, in my career, I put a lot of pressure on myself to be the best and always nail it. And I would get really frustrated with myself when I wouldn't, um, because I really felt like I had a lot to prove and I was hungry. I was like so hungry to just show them that I could, that I deserve to be there. Um, and so, yeah, it's hard. There's weather, there's avalanche conditions, there's your performance, how you're feeling physically, mentally, uh, there's the camera person, like they, whether they're in the right position, they catch it properly. There's so many things. Um, but as you build relationships with the people you're working with, it, you realize how much of a collaborative pro process it is. And it's not all on you. It's like you're a team out there and you need to work together to make sure that everyone's safe and everyone's in a good mindset so that you can make it happen when everything does come together. And how much of an appetite did being involved in that process give you for then getting more involved in creating your own content and developing your own stories? Yeah, it just, it, it, I mean, it opened my eyes to how, what an amazing creative um, experience it is to make films and how intense it is. Like, into the mind was the first kind of bigger production that I worked on. Um, and that was insane. Like how many moving parts there were and people involved. And it was really cool to see. Um, and then I think what really inspired me to make my own content was just feeling like I had a story to tell, but being really picky about how I wanted it told. 
And I, I just, um, yeah, the first film that my sister and I produced kindred was a personal story about our family and, and growing up with a backcountry lodge. And, um, we kind of knew like we were the only ones that could tell that story accurately. And so, um, we decided to just take it upon ourselves to create it. And was it always a case that uh, with your first project that it was going to be about Amiskwee and the family journey and story and the lodge? Or did you have a few other ideas that you were kind of banding around to play around with first? No, that all that was very serendipitous as well. Like I, uh, so I had pitched that idea to Arcteryx a few times, um, wanting them to produce it over the years. And then and it, it just like never really fit with the program. Um, and I don't think I really had a concrete idea of how it would all work. And then I uh, got pregnant and I had a baby in the spring of 2017. And over that summer, I started thinking about skiing the next winter and what that was going to look like for me. Um, and I really couldn't imagine leaving my new baby to go off filming for weeks at a time. And um but I really still wanted, I had this drive to be creative and like produce something. It was just like, I think I had a lot of time just to think about projects and stuff. And, uh, and so I, I talked to my sister and I was like, I really want to do this. I feel like it's a way that I can like continue skiing, um, feed this creative drive that I have and also do it with my family, like not have to leave Knox and go away. And so, yeah, it just, it kind of ticked all those boxes and we were like, let's do it. And how was it working um, with the family? Did that, was it easy because you all know each other so well or did it create some extra kind of stresses and tensions? Yeah, my sister and I have worked on a lot of projects together. She's an amazing photographer um, and we collaborate really well together. Like we definitely have our moments, um, but the great thing about being sisters is you can fight and then it's over and everything is back to normal. Um, but we just like speak, we just have this really good understanding of each other. Like we don't even have to finish sentences. We just know what each other's talking about. We have a very shared vision for kind of creativity and like what we want to produce. So that was awesome because we were just on the same page, um, from the very beginning. Um, but yeah, family, like we, we were all up at the cabin for a week filming together and my dad was there and and my brother was there and like neither of them have really filmed that much. So there's a learning curve and pay, you know, understanding that you need to have a lot of patience when you're filming and stuff like that. Um, but overall it was an amazing, amazing experience. And how, how different was the behind the scenes experience to what you, you, you know, you're leading it now compared to when you had been directed and produced by other people was, was there a lot of similarities that you kind of, you know, that, uh, and things that you took over from, from, from that, side of working with production companies or was this completely different feeling and experience to be able to take take it on yourself oh man it was so different it was so involved there are so many layers so many things to think about we were a small crew we were working with a pretty tight budget and so you know we took it all on ourselves we were cooking for the crew we were coordinating all the logistics we were coming up with the creative plan we were directing learning how to direct was a big learning curve for us um you know Zoya and I know what we want but how do we convey that to a team that we're working with um massive learning and then going into like the editing process and 
So my sister had never edited a film. She had done a few little ski edits, you know, over the years, but this was a big, huge undertaking for us. And then we knew nothing about post-production. So we just kind of, we really learned as we went. And luckily we have awesome connections to really, really, really talented people that have made films. And we were, we were calling them up every day, just being like, what do we do? What do we do? And it, it took a lot of kind of just like swallowing our pride and being like, okay, we have no idea what we're doing, but we know we can produce something that's worth watching. So um, we just had to let it go and be like, hey guys, like, can you tell us how to do this thing? And we felt really dumb sometimes the questions that we had to ask, but um, that's, that's how you learn. And becoming a mum uh, during this time as well and being part of the project, your own mother was obviously part of the film too, uh, being a family story and a family journey. How did motherhood change your own perspective on the relationship with your mum? And did, did you perhaps have any, uh, any anecdotes or different sense of appreciation for when you, when you were filming Kindred that your mum perhaps relayed onto you that you weren't necessarily aware of, of, you know, when you were growing up? Yeah. Oh, having, I think anyone can attest to this, but just having a kid made me realize how amazing my mom is on a whole other level. And she had four and I have one and I'm just like taking your, especially, um, the cool thing about Kindred was, yeah, we went into that film wanting to kind of share how much of a show our parents were when they were, when we first got into a miscue, like they had so little knowledge of backcountry, of avalanches, of building, of any of this, yet they had the balls to pack up four kids under the age of nine and snowmobile us in there and just like take a ski touring. Um, and live in the wilderness for weeks at a time. And um, yeah, so, but then I, and I got that, but then when I had my own child, I really got it. I was like, this is next level. (laughs) And it's hard. It's hard to to get them out and get packed and get out the door and not feel, um, I think the biggest thing I realized was like how amazingly selfless my mom is. Like she was just always so happy to get us all out in the mountains and it never seemed like she was upset that she wasn't skiing for herself or, you know, having time alone out there. She was just like all about the family and giving us amazing adventure opportunities. And there's a a really beautiful quote from your mom, um, which is part of the featurettes that complements the film. Uh, There are pieces of me walking in the freedom of all that I have longed for. Uh, talking about you and uh, and and your sisters, how does it make you feel? How does it make you feel when you hear your mum say something like that and kind of document it as as part of the project? Yeah, it's it's cool. That piece was really awesome to work on. It was like a challenge because it was very intimate messaging um, that she that we wanted her to share, and we had to work work on it together quite a bit. And um, yeah, it, it just made me realize that like my parents sacrificed a lot and, and took on a lot of risk and made massive changes in their life to give us, give themselves and give us a life in the mountains. And I think like they, they got there, but then now they're watching their kids take it even further. Um, and so it's neat to hear her say, like, to say that. And I feel like she does see what we're doing and, and feel like if she could go back in time, that's the life she would have wanted for herself just being so immersed in the mountains and building a career in the mountains and 
the cool thing is, is, um, as my mom's retired, my parents worked in the city my entire life and they had like careers and, uh, they, they were, had kind of like a double life. Like my dad was like a downtown Calgary worker accountant and, you know, pounded pavement every day to work. And then any free time we had, we were out in the mountains and, and then we all left the city and moved and lived fully immersed in the mountains. Um, and my mom was able to kind of semi-retire a few years ago and she moved to Revelstoke and now it's like her ski bumming dreams are finally coming true. And so it's nice to see that. And how much of a, an open dialogue do you, do you have as a family um, and in terms of, you know, how open were you all within the, the, the process of what was going to be discussed in the film? And is that something that comes naturally? Or did you have to maybe dig a little bit deeper into some of your own relationships to say, okay, guys, if we're going to go into our own story, we're going to have to you know, be really honest with each other and, and maybe share some things that, you know, perhaps were or maybe weren't discussed kind of openly as a family um, prior to, uh, to, to getting the cameras rolling. Yeah, I think we're a pretty open family and really my siblings and I are really close. Um, and we, we talk a lot, talk a lot. We are really connected. We talk about everything. And, um, so that was kind of, I mean, it was discussed. We talked about it. We, we had some, um, we had some reservations about kind of like diving deep into my parents' stories because I mean, like any family, there's like hard, hard times and issues that we've had to work through together. And a lot of personal, you know, we were like, we're revealing a very personal story to the world. And so, yeah, we were a bit concerned about like drawing out, drawing the story out of my mom and dad. Um, so we had to coach them a bit. We had really good people with us that helped draw out the story that were like outside of the story and ask good questions. And, um, the cool thing was, was a miss we when we're up there, it's like everyone's happy place. And we all just feel so safe there. And it just like gives you this opportunity to open up and feel comfortable. And it was really amazing. My dad was so happy throughout this whole filming process. I think anytime all his kids are up there and he's just getting to share time with us in the mountains, he is overjoyed. And it was so amazing to see how like vulnerable he allowed himself to be in the interview process and just tell the story. And it, it was really meaningful for him to be able to. And I think he realized that like, as we were making it and as we were talking about things, how meaningful of an experience, just the whole process of building the lodge and raising his kids there was. It was pretty cool. And how, um, how much of that process of, did you take away in, in thinking, well, is there going to be a sequel? Is there going to be more that you can, you can do with the family story and with the lodge? Or is it time for next project is going to be something completely different? Oh man, we finished that project and we were like, we're never doing that again. <laughs> it was so hard. It took a lot out of us. The editing process was like pretty brutal. Zoya and I spent, so her office is in her attic and we spent the summer after filming editing. It was, you know, like 35 degrees in there and we were up late. I have, I have, I had a one-year-old, so I was putting him to bed and then going over to my, going over to Zoe's house and like staying up till two in the morning editing and just thinking we were, you know, when you make something creative, a piece of art or whatever it is, you, you hate it. You like crumple it up and throw it in the garbage 10 times and then redo it. So once it was done, we were like, okay, that was, that was the worst. <laughs> we're done. Um, great learning experience. Um, 
but it's funny how like the pain of the experience fades over time and you slowly just rem- start remembering the good things. Um, and uh, here we are working on another project somehow. Uh, and uh, and how is that project coming along? I believe filming started this last winter. Yeah, it did. So we started, thank goodness, we started at the end of February um, and we had two weeks blocked off to film everything um, because if we had waited any longer, we would have not gotten any footage because of the current state of the world right now. <clears throat> um, but yeah, so I guess in a way, this story we're working on is an extension of the family story. Um, I think I just really like like human stories and family is such a big theme in my life. And so this one is touching on motherhood um, and getting kids out into the outdoors. So it is, it is definitely an extension of, of Kindred for sure. Um, but yes, so we started filming in February. Unfortunately, um, we're filming with another family and all the kids got sick in the filming process. My son got pneumonia. One, yeah, everyone got super sick. So it was a bit of like, it was a bit of a disaster, but we got a lot of footage and we made it, <laughs> we made it work. Um, and then we planned on getting more, but the ski hills shut down. So we're just going to work with what we have. And uh, talking about the next generation uh, and uh, coming on to what you, your, your, your main role now um, is working as a program coordinator for Protect Our Winters Canada. Um, uh, and how did that role come about? Because I know that you, you had experience um, in your degree um, with communications and culture and you, you, you worked in marketing for some other, other bodies, but how did... Um, the, the the whole organization of Power Canada develop and, and how did you get involved in, into doing um, uh, the position that you're in today? Yeah, um, good question. So Protect Our Winters was founded by Jeremy Jones, professional snowboarder in the States in 2007. Um, and But just in 2018, there was a group of Canadians that wanted to start up our own chapter up here. And so they came together and um, started a foundation, started a not-for-profit and a charity and put together a board of directors and kind of started working um, towards creating a movement in Canada that, and the goal of it is to unite the outdoor community to take action against climate change. Um, and some athletes I know really well were involved, Greg Hill being one of them and um, Mike Douglas. Um, and they, <clears throat> they kind of built it up to the point where they needed to hire some staff um, and, uh, they were looking, they did like a job, um, they put out a posting for a job and, um, but then actually a, a couple of, of the people involved reached out to me and they were like, would you be interested in being involved with this? And I really wanted to be interested or involved with POW, but I had a job at the time and I was just like, I don't know if I need to leave what I'm doing. And, um, but then I started talking to them a little bit more about it and I was like, oh yeah, this is the most amazing opportunity. I'm there, Min. And how's your, over the course of your career, how's your own relationship with the environment changed? Is it always been something that you've been passionate about and, a, and, and have a, a consciousness of, imagine, especially spending so much time out in nature through the, through the family lodge, but um, is it, did it play, has it played a key role in your kind of decision-making of where you've been and what you've done? And is it something that you brought into your daily practices or is it maybe a bit more of, a, of an awakening now as the whole world seems to be coming a little bit more around to the fact that we do have this huge you know climate change issue and um, that's just suddenly being dawning on a, on a on a lot of individuals 
Yeah. I, I mean, I've always really cared about the environment. I love nature. It's like, I have immersed myself in nature as much as I can over the course of my lifetime and, um, have traveled around the world to see natural environments in different parts of the, on different parts of the planet. Um, but, and I, so yeah, I've recycled, composted, done the basics, like cared. Um, but like everyone, I think there's just this awakening right now to like, wow, you know, we have this insane effect on our planet and our environment and our health and our economy and all of this stuff. And, um, climate change is, is going to be disastrous for us. And, um, so I, it's been a slow, slow awakening for sure. Um, but the past few years I've, I've really like, once you're awake to it, it's like, you can't turn it off. And so I'd say probably in the past, like three or four years, I've, I've started to really realize that the impact and it's shifted my behavior for sure. Um, <clears throat> I used to work for a heli skiing company, you know, travel, all travel a ton all winter, fly all over the world, have a snowmobile, all of these things. And, um, I'm, I'm like shifting away from that. I don't have a sled anymore. I don't go heli skiing. <laughs> um, and I try to, you know, I still have to use helicopters for my work sometimes. Um, but I try to limit it as much as possible and travel for sure is something that I'm just so much more aware of. Like I'm way more hesitant to jump on a flight than I ever have been. So yeah, it's changed my behavior a lot. And how has being a mum had an influence as well? Do you think more about the next generation? Do you think about, um, how Knox's life is going to be impacted by, um, this awakening and, you know, this consciousness of, uh, of climate change and trying to adapt accordingly, almost to set a good example for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think having children makes you really nostalgic for your own childhood. And, and I was so lucky to grow up in this amazing, um, family that like brought us into nature so much and have all these experiences of like, you know, pristine natural environments and backcountry where no one's around and go skiing and see glaciers and stuff like that. And, and I want Knox to have those opportunities too. And yeah. So having him, it's made me think so much more about the future and what that's going to look like for him. And it definitely has, has really, um, made it, um, more important thing to me so there's lots of protect our winters factions around the world what specifically are the aims and objectives for power canada that you're working on in the short term uh, uh medium and, and long term um so for power canada our main um goals right now are so like i said we're uniting the outdoor community to take action against climate change so um we're kind of doing that in three different ways. Um, the first one is education. So we have a education program that we take into high schools all over the country. And we take um, elite athletes to the schools to present this hour long presentation on climate science and solutions. So it's like what the problem is, what's going on and how we can make change on a, like kind of on a large scale and small scale. Um, in those ways. Um, and so that's one big one. We presented to 12,000 students last year and our goal this year was to do the same. Um, the second one is advocacy. So we're working to kind of connect with business leaders, um, brands, influential people, 
politicians to come together to influence policy change in our country. So we're actually like planning on doing kind of like lobbying trips to Ottawa and, and try and really push through positive climate policy um, and get rid of ones that aren't very positive for the climate. Um, and then inspiration. So we have this amazing team of ambassadors and we work with them to, um, they have a huge influence over tons of different people. And we work with them to just inspire people to take action in their daily lives. Um, so through those three pillars, we have like little short-term kind of campaign goals. And then um, the biggest, the biggest thing we're working on right now is building membership. So we've part of the um, advocacy and kind of inspiration pillars. We have built these regional chapters across Canada and they're volunteer led and they're working to just get us more exposure in communities and help us build membership because we think, well, we know the more members, there's power in numbers. And the more members we have behind this cause, the more power we'll have when we take it to the government and say, hey, like Canadians care about this. Um, we need to see change. And on a more of a local level, when you're working in Revelstoke and the faction there, Revelstoke's a town that during wintertime, its population virtually doubles with the amount of people coming in to enjoy the mountains. And a lot of those people that travel are from overseas. How does the work of Power Canada help to empower and engage that traveling audience and that foreign market that, you know, are jumping on planes and are um, hiring cars and burning fossil fuels to be able to come and enjoy the mountains and thinking about the heli-ski um, community in, in the area as well, which is obviously very uh, rich in terms of its abundance and also in terms of its clientele. How do you work with those different factions of outsiders, so to speak, to help to have a positive impact and an influence on their habits and behaviours? That's a work in progress. Um, so the chapters were started last October, so they're they're not even a year old yet. Um, but we have connected with this really amazing group of people in Revelstoke. And kind of as a side project, um, we're working on developing some sort of offsetting program. We're working with the tourism board in Revelstoke and the city and a bunch of different um, individuals to come up with a way that people who are traveling to Revelstoke to enjoy our skiing are, are also able to give back. So we'll calculate kind of like what their carbon footprint was for their trip and then offer them opportunities to offset, but offset locally. And we, what we want to do is set up an offsetting project that is highly visible, highly um, like just a local thing that a, a ton of locals can be involved with that people can see and they can say, wow, this is an amazing project. It's reducing um, emissions in our area by this much very tangible result. And, uh, and I contributed to it and I'm proud of that. And it's just allowing us to, we want our ski industry here to be sustainable. Um, we want it to continue, but we realize that in order to do that, we need to make some big changes and, and really put forth a strong effort to, to make sure that we're reducing the impact. So that's one thing we're working on locally. So if people who are listening to this want to get involved and want to support your endeavors and initiatives, how can they go about that? I guess both in, in that uh, national and kind of local level and also to people who are listening um, perhaps from outside of uh, the borders of Canada. Yeah. Um, well, if you want to get involved in, in, and uh, support POW, you can go to our website. It's protectourwinters.ca. Um, and then 
if you love Revelstoke and you come skiing here and you travel from around the world to come skiing here and you'd like to know more about that the local project that I just mentioned, it's called Keep Revelstoke Cool. It's in very, very early stages of development, but you can just email me, Izzy, at protectourwinters.ca and, and I'll let you know kind of where we're at and, and what's going on there. And with so many athletes involved and uh, ambassadors, as you mentioned, and you, you obviously all have a lot of um, experience within the content creation side and filmmaking side, are there any plans for uh, from, from perhaps some uh, film projects like we've seen through the likes of um, sort of picture organic clothing do uh, in helping to, to raise awareness and, and, and funds of, uh, of, of powers and organization? Yeah, that's definitely on the radar. Nothing concrete yet. But Greg Hill produced an amazing film last year called Electric Greg. Um, and he ha- he is a really amazing example of an athlete that's just like totally shifted his behavior and perspective as he's become more awakened to this climate issue that we're facing. Um, and he was super, him and uh, Switchback Productions who produced it, they were super generous in giving us the opportunity to use it to raise funds for POW and raise awareness. And I've, it's a really inspiring film. I love it. Um, you can watch it online now. Um, and then we have a few other athletes who, yeah, athletes are pitching ideas and, and they're using their voice to try and, and, uh, you know, spread the word and also raise funds, um, for us. So there will be projects coming out. And if people wanted to find out a little bit more about, uh, yourself, Izzy, keep up to date with your own, um, projects and, uh, uh, motherhood film as it progresses and develops, where can people find you and connect? Uh, probably Instagram is the best way. I'm at Izzy underscore underscore Lynch. Um, yeah, I haven't been posting much lately because we've been locked down, but <laughs> that's uh, that's the best way. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for having the time to to speak and to chat and uh, uh, and sharing your journey. Um, really good to speak with you. And uh, yeah, best of luck with all your endeavors with Power and, uh, and the personal projects too. Thanks, Cameron. Thanks for the opportunity.